Hey, this is Lee. I really hope you've been enjoying the Business of Marketing podcast. It's from marketers and for marketers, and my intention is to bring you value, experiences, and insights that you can use. Also, if your company would like to have their own podcast, I would love to help. The team at Content Monster specializes in B2B podcasts. So if we can help, contact me at contentmonster.com. That's contentmonster, M-O-N-S-T-A dot com. Enjoy the podcast. Hi, this is Lee, and this episode will sound and look a lot different from all other episodes. Schedules and international time zones with today's guests were hard to align, but because of my excitement to talk with this gentleman, I plan to record this podcast whenever and wherever I could make it happen. It just so happened that I was on vacation in a hotel with no microphone or no camera other than a webcam, so the audiovisual quality isn't my norm, but the value brought in today's podcast with today's guest is unmatched. So I promise you'll learn something that you did not know. Thanks for listening and enjoy the podcast. You're listening to the Business of Marketing podcast, where we have conversations with some of the most influential and thought-provoking minds in marketing, sales, and business. And here's your host, A. Lee Judge. Welcome again to the Business of Marketing. I'm A. Lee Judge. I like to consider myself a global marketer, but today I'll admit that perhaps due to the companies I work for or the location of my clients, my experience with marketing in Africa has lacked insight. And I aim to fix that today in a conversation with our guest. He is based in Kenya and is the founder of Nindo, a strategy and storytelling consultancy um, he's a well-known digital marketing expert, renowned speaker, an entrepreneur. He was named as one of the top 30 under 30 in Africa's best young entrepreneurs by Forbes. His blog on Nindo is a valuable digital marketing resource covering sub-Saharan African mobile marketing trends, social media, storytelling, content marketing, social networks, as well as research. So it's my honor to welcome to the podcast, Mark Kaigua. Hi, Mark. Thanks for joining me today. Really happy to be here, um, Ali, and, and, and really excited to be on the pod. Big fan of what you're up to. Oh, awesome, man. Thank you. It's, it's an honor to, to have you here. Um, I want to dive right into, by, by learning about your agency, and maybe in that, we can learn more about you as well. Um, and I know on the, on the Nindo website, it says that Nindo started from a desire to see a gap, f- gap field. Um, insights published about Africans, by Africans, in Africans, in Africa. I love how you phrase that. So tell me more about that. Uh, sure thing, Eli. So, so I think for us, part of what we uh, discovered was that, um, and I guess this is this is sort of my, my the, the origin story of the company, is that there was a moment where I discovered that there were people around the world who were looking for great speakers uh, to talk about what was happening in Africa. How that happened was was sort of by accident um, in the sense of I went, um, and I won't give you the long story, but I, I managed to, to give a short talk at an innovation conference in Norway. My first time there, I basically wrote them a cold pitch and um, they flew me out there, uh, surprised the whole audience that, you know, who paid a lot of money to be there. 
And a bunch of people were like, I didn't know Africa was, was, you know, was happening in this way. The fact that you have mobile money, like you're telling me you can pay for stuff faster there than I can pay here with my big, you know, platinum American Express card, everything. And I was like, yes. And, and I was like, you'll see the Googles, Facebooks and all these other big tech companies come and take a lot of this tech. And at that point, even PayPal, the biggest corporations hadn't innovated as fast as Africa. So I was basically seeing this opportunity. So what I found was they were like, well, you know what? You're young. You live in Africa. You seem to not be trying to emigrate here. So you have a return ticket. They were like, I want to find out more of what's going on. But then they saw, I started to find out that there was, you know, people who lived in Africa a long time ago. There was people who lived, you know, in the US, UK, you know, England, Norway, who had basically emigrated there. But to find the continent and find things written from here, for here and for the world, that's when I said, hey, you know, Nendo really has to exist to fill that gap. And and we've been going ever since with that desire to basically make it to where you could sit in New York and, for example, tech startups in Africa raise, I think, something like to the tune of $5 billion last year, almost $2 billion in the first three months of this year. So, so a lot's happening. People are investing billions of dollars, mainly, you know, like the US, Europe, elsewhere. China's here in a big way. So, when you're looking, they have one of two options, right? Fly a bunch of consultants from their city to come here, figure things out, or come and find basically the best minds and ask them what's going on. And then it fills that gap to where they, they can actually find a reliable resource for research, marketing, trends, and most importantly, how to win this African consumer. Because the next hundred years, Africa will be the youngest continent and one with the highest potential in terms of natural resources and innovation and impact. And so that's why we're really passionate about what we do. It's so interesting to me that you mentioned that um, they were surprised that the technology, even the even the fintech technology, was more advanced, and they it was just unknown to them. It's almost it's almost like the the digital marketing Wakanda, <laughs> as if you know the <laughs> exactly you know, and and that's you know it's funny you say that because for me like there's a there's a big keynote I gave, and one of the ways I say is I look at how Africa has been covered the last like twenty five years. And you have um, sort of what I call wasteland, which is like the first like, you know, sort of decade where it's like lions, sort of diamonds and war, right? It's like these sort of like really, really worn out like ideas of you go there for safari, you go there for natural resources, or generally it's sort of this hopeless case where there's war, there's all sorts of basically structural issues. And then there was what I'd call the waka waka period, which is if you remember the 2010 World Cup in South Africa, the, the eyes of the world went there and they were like, oh my gosh, South Africa, very unsafe. This is that. A lot of like, again, stereotypes, but it was immaculately put together global feed that had people saying, wait a second, maybe, I, maybe, I, maybe I've fallen for that single story about the continent. And then I love what you said. The third, the third phase is the Wakanda phase. This idea that, you know, we're sitting on this natural resource, what in the Marvel movie they call vibranium. And that's our mind, our intellect, our technology, our customs. And then we're becoming net exporters. If you look at the Billboard Top 100, they had so many Afrobeat songs. Get in there, get onto the top 10. To the point they said, you know what, fine, we'll give you your own chat. You'll still dominate ours from time to time. But the fact here is that we're becoming a net exporter of stories, social media trends, content, music, and culture to where Africa, you can't just know it. At least you would hope mm. that people don't just know it for one thing. But thanks to the internet, it's become flat. And so... Like you said, fintech is probably one of the leading areas, but there's so much more. And it's interesting that not only is it a stereotype, but I can tell you from an American's perspective, it's been taught. It's not just like rumor or, you know, from 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 media to movies and entertainment. It's been taught that it's just what, what were the three things you said? Uh, like safari and yeah, yeah, li- yeah, yeah, lions, diamonds and war. So that's, that's just normally it's like it's 
these, yeah, really worn out ideas that are really, and here's a funny thing. To some extent, they are true, but the problem is it's an, as, as the, 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 this famous TED talk of, uh, uh, this Nigerian author, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, she says, that's all true, but it's an incomplete story. And if mm. that's all you buy into, you miss so much of what else we have to offer. And thankfully, at least thanks to content, we're making it hopefully a bit hard to ignore in music. You could go to a cafe in, in London or New York or, you know, be sitting in LA. And I mean, you know, Drake just put out an album, for instance, and Black Coffee, this South African producer, is one of the big producers on that. It's like the small little touches where you're getting this feel for where it's like Africa is making itself hard to ignore. And, and that's the other thing. You know, Africa is not a, you know, it's not a country, as we say. So it's 54 different sovereign, independent countries. But yeah, we have a lot in common. Um, and ultimately, we're just trying to, again, reframe the narrative. So, so tell me this, as I admitted earlier, that I myself have a gap in understanding marketing from an African's perspective. So tell me, comparing to a global perspective, what are some of the nuances that make marketing in Kenya or Africa different? I'd say that there's a lot of principles that bring the same. Um, I mean, when I think about what makes um, an exceptional brand or we look at the marketing effectiveness world, I'd say that the, the principles in many ways are, are similar, but some of the expressions are different. So what I mean by that is like you take a lot of global corporations, they're saying, hey, look, you know, we've reached essentially saturation in somewhere like the US. I mean, even a corporation like Meta or Facebook or whatever, you know, they know that there's, you know, essentially 300 something odd million Americans. I mean, the continent has a billion people, right? So they know the next decade, even as, you know, maybe you will say teenagers aren't joining, you know, Facebook or whatever. Here, you know, every, everything is still right. And now you, you multiply that, right? You take the big corporations out in Silicon Valley or you take the sort of global multinationals across the U.S. They're keeping their eyes saying, hey, you know what? If we don't address or participate in what's happening in Africa, and this is a marketing challenge because you can't just roll out this red carpet and think because you're some big brand, mm -hmm. it's just all going to fall down to you. Why? There's great African brands of, for example, diaspora who are coming back to the continent saying, I've been in the US, I've, I've worked on Wall Street, I've been in these corporations, and now I want to go back. I've been sending money back for like a decade plus. Or, you know, we've got multiple generations of us here in the, in the US, but, but we keep our links back home. We want to go back and develop. And so they're bringing this injection of ideas and best practices. Now, what makes the, the continent unique is I would say that in, in Africa, I'd say uh, that, uh, as the saying goes, um, you know, necessity is the mother of invention, meaning that we don't exactly have a lot, right? So this idea even of consumerism, people can be quite sharp and clear on their spending or quite delicate with how they go about consuming. Um, I'll give an example. So we have something in Kenya we call the Kadogo economy. So Kadogo means small in Swahili. And the idea here is that there's an entire ecosystem that typically goes off the radar of the fast-moving consumer goods or what I think in the U.S. is known as consumer packaged goods, CPG, that industry. Mm -hmm. And basically, it's where you can buy toothpaste by the squeeze. You can You can sort of buy like cooking oil by the scoop. And so there's this entire like sub-economy where... Essentially, it's worth billions of dollars, but it's incredibly unstructured. Mm. So that's the interesting thing about it is that you have these really small um, uh, shops, like we're talking like like small, like the size of, you know, like uh, the width of my, my, my hands here. But they'll be serving and turning over a volume in terms of retail that will make them hard to ignore, especially when, so instead of the bodega or the corner store, you have that. Now, when you come online or you go offline, no matter what the brand is, so you take tech, you take banking, you take insurance, 
One other thing I'd say, besides things like the Kadogo economy, you have these um, sort of daily consumer decisions that get made. And as a marketer, you have to win in that moment at the point of purchase. You have another opportunity, I would say, which is just creating tech that helps people leapfrog. And so what I mean by that is that here, a lot of the, the luxuries that are there. So I'll give you the, uh, an example. Um, in the US, it was, you know, there was AOL CD-ROMs and all of these different like circumstances that allowed people to, um, to, to, to come online over the, over the years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it was first at home and then on a PC and then on a computer and laptop, et cetera. Here, we skipped a lot of that to go straight to the mobile phone. And then on top of the mobile phone, so many things have been built that it's completely disrupted the idea of even what a bank is or what a financial services company is. So we have a lot of almost innovative and unique opportunities being carved out here, like I said, that we then exported. So you look at certain ways that something like Ven, like Kenyans sometimes will just laugh and say, you know, like we look at Venmo or we look at these, you know, American corporations, like it took you how long to do that? Like we were doing that back in like, you know, like. The, the early or mid 2000s, because that's who we are. We leapfrog what's typically a 10 year journey wow. with a lot of infrastructure and heavy costs. And it will be similar, you know, in the US, let's say there's 5G and we're not there yet with 5G just yet. Mm-hmm. But when we get there, trust me, I'm telling you, Ailey, the things we'll be able to do and the ways it'll be able to impact the economy will now create their own set of opportunities. So that's what's so exciting about here is that you have both this opportunity for invention and then this incremental innovation that's happening, whether it's like at the really, really small level, because the truth about it is, you know, economically, Africa has some challenges in the sense that, you know, society-wise, income-wise, earning-wise, institution and governance-wise, we, have, we still have some ways to go, right? Especially a, a range of the countries here. But potential-wise, we're unrivaled and unmatched. That's the exciting thing about it. What's interesting to me about what you said was that, so brands outside of Africa are they need to be careful about how they approach the market and not underestimate the the African market. Um, And they need to learn how to correctly approach that market because it sounds to me that, especially with time, that market may not need them. It may not need outside companies because at the same time, there, there are companies and technologies developing within the continent in the countries where we may be, we as in, outside of Africa or U.S., maybe learning or needing not only historically like it was the the, the natural resources, but also needing the techno- technology resources um, and, and, and definitely the, the population of consumers will be needed. So that's it's really interesting yeah. for me to hear that perspective. Absolutely. And, and, I, and I think part of what, what makes it um, interesting being here is that um, you know, it, it's always so intriguing how you, you, you know, like I still watch, we have, we have clients in the U S for example, as Nendo, we have clients in, in Europe and we very much see ourselves as a global or Pan-African organization, even though like we're based out of Nairobi, like even right now, as we speak, we've got campaigns happening in, 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 because the continent is, like I said, pretty big. So we have, uh, uh, Francophone countries, countries that speak French predominantly. So we have some marketing campaigns happening there. And there's certain nuances and differences there and how they see the world, how they speak, how they see themselves. You've got um, Portuguese-speaking countries here, and we have some campaigns going on there in addition to research projects really all over the show. And really, that diversity of both opportunity and of learning is humbling in a way because that's the idea. Is, you know, you, you have obviously the McKinsey's, the big fours, 
all these big corporations that come here and say, look, we're going to pitch up shop and anyone who's expanding this way um, will we'll knock on our door. And, and here's the funny thing. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's Africans who are actually there speaking for what's happening and what the opportunity looks like. From a marketing perspective, I still feel the place that I'm passionate about seeing more learning happen is studying what counts as effective marketing here. There's been a bit done, but I'll, I mean, I'll give you an example. I think um, in the global Diageo, in the sort of uh, sort of wine spirits and the, um, uh, you know, the, the alcohol industry, I think some of their uh, most profitable, I think, brands of the last couple of years and certainly some of their best business decisions have taken place here with the launch of a brand that was, um, I think there's there's one in particular that that's coming to mind. So basically, it's you know I, I, there's there's high risk, um, and having that tolerance for risk and and that appetite to see something new. Here's the thing: you could be sort of one of let's say like ten or twenty thousand in the U.S. or one person of you know five hundred in your state, and you could come here. Obviously, it's 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 not exactly an equivalent, but by studying the environment. Uh, collaborating and really empathizing and connecting with what's going on here, you know, you could really make a pretty big impact here. So that's the thing is, you know, for me, I'm not just like evangelizing the content to attract um, investment, but also saying really that it takes a process of patience and really connecting with what's going on here and, and respecting the fact that our journey might not look like one overseas. You know, I, I'm guessing that this is a, a problem that you face a lot and maybe your company solves, but here in the States, oftentimes, especially the larger the corporation, they have serious cultural fails when they're trying to market to a culture. Um, you know, the American culture is very diverse, but corporate doesn't always recognize that. And because of that, they may make offerings or have campaigns that horribly fail, maybe even insult certain cultures. I'm wondering, is that something that Nindo can do to help you know, foreign countries who want to market into to Africa? And also, have you seen examples of companies outside um, Africa trying to market into Africa and, and have some fails? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's, you know, how much time you got, Ailey? So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I think, I think there's a few. I mean, oftentimes, um, I mean, I'll give you an example from right now. And this is a bit, a bit tricky, but, but I, I mean, I'll say it. So I'll say that... Uh, there's a U.S. talk show host that just spoke about Kenya and spoke about it in very dispar- disparaging and negative terms. So, uh, you know, on one of the, the, the big TV networks um, said that, uh, oh, you know, well, you know, like, you know, the U.S., we don't want to be like places like Kenya where pregnant women can't vote. Now, that was, I mean, again, a little soundbite. And let me tell you, like, Ailey, right now, if you go on, you know, onto like the Kenyan Twitter trending topics, like, you literally have tens of thousands of Kenyans who put all their, because we're about to go to an election, they put all their political differences aside and said, look, you know, I know we haven't agreed on much, but this lady at this US line, we need to sort of like, you know, sort of send a message. And they've done that for a long time. So I'll give another example um, before looking at brands. Um, when President Obama was scheduled to come to Kenya, um, another TV network, uh, and I don't want to name them because, you, know, you know, I don't want people, you know, taking this out of context, but 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 they um they they said that oh like you know uh US president obama is going to visit a hotbed of terror oh man did boy did they get it like i mean the kenya government had a 1 million dollar advertising contract with that that global co- that global uh, media network they canceled it um and not only that there was also um again like the whole country basically woke up 
loaded some prepaid data and said, I'm going to give CNN a piece of my mind. I'm going to find any and all CNN anchors. The, the most, I mean, I guess I've said who it is you now, but, is. <laughs> but all these like <laughs> prominent ones. Um, and then, the, yeah, the one from like today or like the last couple of days, someone at Fox News, just showing that it doesn't matter what side of the spectrum you're on. You could be left-leaning or right-leaning. Like Kenyans generally would, would, will are so uh, uh, like um, so protective of their perception because they know that already there's this whole, the Africa they never show you. And they already know that there's people with such a limited worldview that they're like, the last thing we want is anyone taking anything out of context. Anyway, fast forward that example from a few years ago and... CNN had to send its highest ranking executive outside of, I think, the former CEO, Mr. Zucca, to fly here to go to basically, basically state house where the president stays and deliver an apology, right? Like uh, to, to these sort of nameless faces of internet users who basically called out um, CNN. On top of that, I think there was um, just a moment of reckoning where both presidents and many, many corporations started to call Kenya a hotbed of innovation a hotbed of opportunity, a hotbed of investment. So that's sort of on the interpersonal side. And that just tells you a bit about how Kenyans are. Now, on the corporate side, there's been, I think, a number of like these mistakes and faux pas. And I know uh, what you're saying. So I believe there's an airline that came here and had, I think, a photo of their plane landing and some giraffes. And people said, hold up, hold up, hold up. excuse <laughs> no me. No airport, me, right? <laughs> yeah, Kenya's known as Silicon Savannah. You got to talk to us about tech. Like, we, we have technologically driven ideas. We're way beyond sort of the whole safari thing. And you certainly wouldn't advertise to us with that in mind. You can advertise to people in your country about the safari, but for us, you got to give us something else to go on. So I think it's, it is examples like that. And what's the funny thing about it is it's a recurring trend. What happens is basically, you can imagine like if, if the whole, <laughs> the whole of the U.S. woke up and somebody spoke badly of the U.S. and they're based overseas. And people basically put all their political and ideological differences aside. And they say, you know, let's all, let's all go and target that. That's sort of what Kenyans tend to do online because there's a way that they take up this idea that, that the perception of our country is more important than any one of us. And brands are no exception. So they put brands in check for whatever mistakes they make. And even local brands are held to account. Like if it's a multinational with a campaign they don't feel is representing the country well or is speaking to a particular demographic, like you said, they'll check them. And that tends to to keep brands honest, especially multinational corporations. And they'll apologize. They'll make all sorts of restitution and, and, and say what they need to because they're, they're like, hey, look, we're going to learn. We're going to get better. And we're going to get local people on the ground to, to, to be our eyes and ears rather than shipping things off from a global perspective. Wow. That, that's fascinating to me because I, I'm, I'm always very interested in, well, of course, we're marketers. So we want to understand our audiences and not just from a local perspective or a country or a continent. I want to understand, you know, where are these companies and organizations? It's always interesting when you hear a headline about a fail, like when you hear someone made a major faux pas and your first thought of first thought is, well, who was in the room? Who, who let this happen? You know, or why did they not have enough um, perspective or, or diversity in the room for somebody to raise their hand and saying, for this demographic, for this country, for even maybe the whole target audience, this does not work. You know, are, is anybody in the room who can actually, you know, vet this out? And I, I think from just within uh, a nation, let alone beyond one, um, diversity, now that the world is becoming more global, more companies do work globally. I think companies, even if they're a European-based company, a U.S.-based company, an African-based company, 
we're getting to a point now where we need diversity in the room from other countries, from other cultures, because oftentimes I see companies say, well, we're going to have a diversity initiative. We're going to hire more women from the same country, from the same neighborhoods, from the same. And they're not really getting an intellectual diversity, um, let alone saying, well, if we have a global product, is our boardroom, is our marketing team global? Does anybody understand Africa, Europe, you know, Australia before we go to sell to these people? And I think those are probably the roots of a lot of, a lot of fails. Absolutely. And in fact, I think with, uh, with that, the other thing that I like to sort of check, especially with, with international clients, is sometimes they, they get the impression that, you know, like a country like Kenya, where I'm sitting in and dialing in from now, and um, that, that we're sort of waiting for them to arrive. I mean, the, 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 the interesting thing is that, um, um, you know, and, and, and this is, this is sort of like a slightly contentious like topic, but, you know, Africa is both determining for itself. And then there's a sort of global race around influence that's seeing China want to make its own sort of presence here. It's seeing Europe want to make its own presence here. It's seeing Britain since they left the, the European Union make its own presence here. Then America and not even sort of some of the, the South American country. So it's this idea that, that like for the longest time, for instance, you know, I would, you know, like learn about the rest of the world through like a Washington lens through the voice of America through CNN. And then, you know, China starts to say, well, we don't want that. So they come in here and like, Oh, Nairobi is going to be our Africa bureau for like our global television network. Um, and even like, um, same with the, the BBC. Like I think they're the, the largest, um, essentially, uh, uh, basically newsroom and, and office outside of London, right? But, and the BBC is global, right? It's in Nairobi as well. So there's this idea that, hey, we want to control a bit of the narrative, at least influence it. And even business-wise, there's some, you know, some, some things where like, oh, like, you know, like, oh, I got, you know, we got Amazon, we got this, that, you name the American corporations. And there's equivalents, either African-made, African-led, African-owned, or in some cases, you know, European-funded or European, like extensions or likewise from from China. And, and so it's this idea that no one is sort of waiting for you to come. The opportunities are sort of being taken up and being built and the infrastructure is, and, and it's a journey. I think just where, you know, it, you can't afford to sort of like, in fact, for me, one of my, 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 my big things I say is you can't afford to not at least get what I say, some Africa in your newsfeed, right? Like, like, you know, this like for the algorithm, I'm always challenging people. I'm like saying, if you don't see enough about the continent. You need to follow some different creators. You need to follow some different people on YouTube, elsewhere, because you just want to keep, you just want to, you just want it to be, you want the algorithm to be, to be serving you up a bit of that, in addition to what you already like, already know, and already are, are drawn to, because that's the challenge I'm putting to people. It costs you nothing to find some great creators, read like some of Nendo's trend reports, so I can recommend other people too, because it's that idea that at least you're just refreshing yourself globally without ever really leaving your, you know, the seat of your chair or your state or your town. So that's always an encouragement for me. And, and marketers who do that might find that now in this diversity, just like what you said, in this diversity of ideas, just simply by, by making sure I'm drawing on multiple sources, I'm more creative in the Bay Area. I'm more creative in you know, the, the Midwest or whatever because I'm able to cater to these different positions and perspectives because I'm not just you know, sticking to what I know and sticking to what I'm used to. You know, you have just given me an action item. I will do exactly that to start following <laughs> yeah. more people to make sure, because you're right. If I look at my, my feed, it's typically U.S., Canada, Europe, and some Australia. Other than maybe you, I don't have much Africa in my timeline. So 
that is my action item that I'm going to take. I want to tell our listeners that is your action item to take to find more Africans and put them in your timeline so that you can remove perhaps some of your own biases and learn more about what's going on. Because they're not waiting for us to come to them. They, they got their own thing going on, right? <laughs> Absolutely right. So I want to ask you this, Mark, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you recently gave a talk on what you call the 22 marketers mindset. Um, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So I think I think for me, uh, yeah, 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 exactly. So so I, I'm always trying to give these trends uh, talks to to set the table really for marketers, communicators, and and professionals who have the chance to to influence people's perceptions or their buying behavior. That's right. So in that twenty, let me correct myself. Twenty twenty two marketers mindset. What should marketers be be thinking about this year? You think? So I think for me, if I look at Kenya and sort of speak to Kenya first and then look to the rest of, of the continent and something that applies to this audience. So Kenya right now is in an election year. In fact, in I want to say about 30 days, 31 days, give or take, we'll be going to the election. And typically what happens as marketers is that we, well, I'll, I'll give a bit of history. Election years tend to, to, to be in such a way that uh, I think the analogy that I've heard is that uh, in, in a place like the U.S. or globally, you have um, um, un, uh, um, unpredictable um, campaigns and then predictable results. So what that means is that, you know, you could have so-and-so leading and so-and-so leading and the polls keep changing. But then by the time it's done, there's sort of this declarative outcome and we, we see this transition of power whatnot. On the continent to some extent, right? And this is part of what makes some of those negative headlines that people get a bit cross about in Kenya and elsewhere. You have um, what some people call like predictable campaigns and unpredictable results, meaning you just sometimes aren't as sure where it's going to go. Uh, and and that's, that, that uncertainty with the result and how it will affect the economy and the business community and by extension marketers, that means that marketers are really hesitant or they try to have 12 months in the first six, like what's happened in Kenya this year. So the 2022 marketers mindset for me was I wanted people to think, you typically don't spend what you usually do um, in, in an election year. Um, you tend to be really cautious, especially coming into this time, or you tend to go dark. And I was like, if you're a challenger brand, if you're running a challenger brand, you're not top one, you know, top two or whatever in your category, even if you're number two anywhere else, you need to actually think that this is your time to remain consistent. Why? Because if, you know, if number one takes, takes a bit of a break, you get better share of voice than you've probably ever gotten with your minimal spend. And that, you know, like people are really sort of coming back to be like that. But don't you know the economy? I said, well, aren't people still consuming? Aren't people still basically, you know, just look at the economy generally. People still want to invest. And obviously, we, we, you know, we've seen what's happened in the U.S. and we have inflation and everything else. But, but people genuinely still want to carry out their everyday life and work. And as a marketer, you don't get a lot of windows where this happens. The only other time this happened was COVID, where um, I remember talking to a senior executive of a, a media group in Nigeria um, in, a, in a workshop we were running. And she was saying how when one of the biggest telecoms companies gave up their top spots because they had all they pre-booked all the primetime spots, she literally saw one of the, the, the number three contenders say, I want every one of them. I know everyone is basically not paying you. They said, this is a window I'll never get back. And sure enough, during COVID, and the, the decision came from South Africa for that, that telco in Nigeria. So they were like, hey, we're cutting all spend. We're pausing everything. We don't want to advertise. These other guys had some autonomy. So they said, hey, we want to advertise. And guess what happens? The big guys start cruise control 
right? Because that's the thing with advertising and marketing is that it takes it's it's like a plane is what is what they say that it takes uh, it takes advertising and marketing spend to get up there, and it takes the actual advertising to continue, even if you're a leader, to stay up. And and that's the mm-hmm. thing people don't forget. So they say, look, we're number one. We can coast a bit. And frankly, I think the University of Australia and you know, like you said, you know, um, University of South Australia and the Ehrenberg Bass Institute, they've talked about how, you know, if you stop your advertising, if you're a big brand, you don't feel it immediately, but you do start losing market share. And so my, my challenge, at least the biggest one that I was saying, not so I'm trying to share something, I guess, unique from our context, is, is sometimes the, the whole country takes a collective breath before an election. <gasps> and I'm like, okay, I get that, but you've got you to gotta release that. You still have to take a couple more breaths every minute. And so that was one of the big ones I know that, 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 that for me, I was so passionate about. And I, I can tell you, Ailey, there's a couple brands now, because I, I gave that talk in um, uh, December of uh, 2021 at a CMO keynote here in, the, in Nairobi, in the capital. And I've seen a couple brands actually stick to that. And, and, I, and, I, and I, I mean, they're telling me, hey, the business is doing better than we expected. And I'm like, hey, no surprise. If the big guys step aside and you continue okay. to push, defend your budgets, you'll actually see the growth. So that's one of the ones that really stood out to me that I'm really passionate about. And I think that speaks not only to, to the marketers who are listening, but also to the, the agencies like ours, because we know that uh, our smarter clients aren't letting off the gas right now. I know we're, you know we're talking recession, we're talking downturn, but the smarter companies are adding to their marketing because um, someone I spoke to last week, I think it was Ardeth Albi, and she was saying that now's the time to, to put the foot on the gas, basically, because um, companies don't want to lose market share. And if they get scared coming into recession and they let off the gas, then they're going to lose market share and those challenger brands are going to take over. Um, you mentioned COVID. I have a client who was preparing for Mobile World Congress in Spain last year. And one of their, I don't know if we'd say competitors, but someone in their same space pulled out of Mobile World Congress and let the biggest central booth go from the show. And they jumped in and got the centerpiece. And I'm sure they paid a lot less than that, that major one did. But the end of the story was they were the challenger brand. They got the biggest shine of the show. And had that company not let off the gas, then they would have held that. So precisely, I've seen a precisely. few huge examples. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Um, so in your agency, you show a strong emphasis on research and data, um, but also have creative services. If you had to choose which one should be the most important to marketers, which would it be? Oh, that's, that's, a, that's unfair, a great question. A, maybe even an unfair question, but... <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, in fact, for us, like, that, that it's something interesting. Like, like, like you said, I think in the beginning, we've gone through an evolution of how we describe the value we offer brands because um, we are... You know, I think in the beginning, we talked about strategy and storytelling. That's sort of what we talked about. Then we realized strategy is like selling a vitamin. So not everyone's going to buy it. And suddenly when, you know, like, like you know, they'll buy a painkiller, right? Because they're like, hey, if I got a headache, I'm going straight, you know, straight for, you know, the Benadryl or whatever, like the, the, the painkiller of choice, you know, Panadol, as we call it, whatever. But the vitamin is like, you you're, you're, sometimes you're pushing a rock uphill. So when, when we reframe what we do as, as at Nendo, we called it, agency, which is the marketing side, advisory, which is the strategy side, and academy, which is the training side. And what we realize is, you know, one, with training, we can train competitors. So they can sit in a room, you know, sometimes they'll fold arms and look at each other, but, but they'll get some really great, you know, learning experience and, 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 a, and a knowledge experience from us in a workshop setting. 
And then typically they'll call us in and they'll have a brief for research or they'll have a brief for some marketing work. And if I had to choose between the two, I would, I would, I would basically say <laughs> I'm more qualified as a marketer, but I'm pretty passionate about research. So some researchers look at me and say, you're not a qualified researcher. And I'm like, hey, you're right. I'm sort of masquerading on that front. Uh, because I worked in advertising as a copywriter before. So that's the part that comes naturally to me is, you know, copy and creative ideas and campaigns and brainstorming. But with research, what I find is always so humbling is you can't really dictate the outcome, right? Uh, we have a bit of sometimes creative control in the process because you take the brand, you try to like have your eureka moment or, you know, just think of how you're going to basically come up with the big idea. In research, you have either a really regimented process that you're trying to follow to get to these insights. And I always say like insights is like, <laughs> it's like, you know, sort of Kenya has a beautiful coastline and there's a beautiful city. When you come, cause we're going to find some way to get you over here, Ailey. When you come, yes. we're going to hit up the coast and maybe that's where we do some trainings and some workshops. But if you're ever under a coconut tree, I always say there's two ways to get the coconut, man. You got to either wait for it to drop or you got to go up and get it. And with insights, <laughs> you got to go up and get it every time. And I always push my team. I say the insights are not going to, just sort of fall by accident. You have to earn them each time. So I, will, I won't lie. I'm pretty partial and, and passionate about the research side. Also because what we find is because Africa has been so mischaracterized, because Africa needs this sort of evidence basis. There's people who make decisions with spreadsheets where they're saying, look, we want to give South Africa, you know, $10 million. We're going to give uh, Kenya $3 million. And sometimes we're like, hey, look, is it research you need, you know, on our, on, the, you know, the middle class or its growth on sort of like, the category, because some of the big research companies from the U.S. might not be here, but hey, there's an endo here to, to make something happen for you. And if that helps you to raise basically the what we call that, you know, that rising tide lifts all boats, that you send a two million extra dollars, it helps the TV stations here. It actually helps the digital ecosystem. It helps the influencer marketers here. It, I mean, it basically impacts us when we when we just make any sort of blip that raises um, you know, the investment that happens in marketing. So I find that evidence tends to achieve that, whereas marketing's job is to basically deploy that that capital and those resources in a distinctive and memorable way to make a, you know, an impression and sort of win hearts and minds as it were. So I, I, you, you got me, you know, sort of like caught in, in, in two worlds, but I'd probably say the research side excites me because I, I've watched it make a real difference, even for company where I didn't benefit, but you know, you could see the impact and you know it's bigger than any uh, any of the work that we've done on the other side. You know, I asked you that question because, um, and I, typically I set that question up before before I asked the question, but I, I did it to you this opposite this way. I'll ask you the question first, but it's because I see so many agencies, you and I both having agencies. I typically ask when I speak to someone who owns an agency about their thoughts on how when you see agencies advertise as full service, and there's really no such thing because every agency has a key area. They, they're almost all, I think the best ones are a bit more T-shaped. You know, they, they go deep in a certain area. Maybe they, beca- they began somewhere. Maybe they began in research or began in creative or whatever. But, and that's their core competency. And I like that you, you frame that, that what you, you know what your core competency is and what you like to do but you also understand and work on the research because it's, it supports the core competency. And, uh, you know, aside from the, the big global agencies who have grown for years and years to be able to do lots of things, I think it's fair for anybody looking out or seeking an agency to ask the question, what is your core? Where did you come from? So they know they're not, because full service is often 
uh, a, a false narrative, I think. Absolutely. And it's a bit of a cover-up. I think you're right. And and I say that with the most respect because I have some great colleagues and, and sort of, you know, industry folks like I imagine you do who may run full-service shops. Uh, and so I'm always like full service. Yeah, you know, give them a bit of a wink and sort of say like, uh, hey, you know, you keep that going because <laughs> us niche players, we want to be a bit agile. We want to try to dominate a category to the point where people will be like, hey, look, you know, I'm going to give you three insurance companies. You just set up sort of, as they say, sort of Chinese walls. This team doesn't know what that team's doing, whatever, because you're bringing category experience um, in delivering certain outcomes, you know, marketing wise, that's that's distinguishing you over others. Um, and certain certain organizations, I think in an agency space get get really good at that, and I think like like for us, like you rightly said, right now one of my big priorities is is making sure that we um we get better um creatively speaking um you know as far as like our big picture big thinking I mean we have a pitch that's going to come soon, and I remember the client looking at me and saying, Mark, you know I you, you impress the CEO with you know the group CEO with uh, with the research side. In fact, that's why you guys have a shot in the first place because because you're going up against the big guys. But they said. If you really want this, I'm gonna give you some some advice, right? Um, you better you better go out because it's not you and it's no one on your team. Go out and find an immaculate creative director, one who has you know three four production companies that they shoot that can shoot the TV commercial and and let that person that when the brief comes to you, you sit in the brain some more you want, but you let that person drive it because there's a way how if you want to compete with the guys we have now and take your shot, you are gonna need a little something that you don't currently fully possess. Taking nothing away from you and your team. Just saying that like, like you know, how many TV commercials did you guys shoot? Well, guess what? Not enough, right? Because we, we have the, these specialties and these skills, but you've earned the right to get the brief in the first place because, you know, you have the evidence, you've got the, the, the spark and we see something where, we, you know, we, we think you can do some special things for our brand. So, so in that case, what did I have to do? <laughs> I'm getting in my phone book and I'm calling people all over the continent and I'm saying, hey, Actually, you've even reminded me right now. Like, there's literally a oh my gosh! Like, thank you. <laughs> there's literally, I think, a creative director in um in Joburg. Oh, this is crazy, Ailey. Like, oh oh my goodness! If I if I win this pitch, I'm coming to play this moment right back. This is my eureka moment because they they we were talking the other day, and I love their work. Let me tell you, man. South Africa, if there's one thing they have, um, they have like we're talking like global Khan, you know, titanium, you know, like lion, gold lion winning, like. Creative, at least on the continent, and taking nothing away from Kenya. I love Kenya, and we do. We, we we compete. So so does Nigeria. But there's something with just South Africa where, like, I mean, some people like work in South Africa a couple of years and then literally get all expenses paid, relocation to London or to uh, the Netherlands for global full service agency groups. So it's interesting to sort of see that. So for me, I think to your point, um, the niche players. I think you know we need to earn the right to be in in conversations and in spaces that expand us. And the way you do that is really putting out your best work. And, and I think, you know, knowing what you can and can't do, there's a self-awareness there as an agency owner. And, and I think when that's, when that's there, we get the chance to, to both play to our strengths. And I'm a real believer in like having an abundance mindset, right? There's no reason I can't, you know, figure out Ailey's background and be like, hey, Ailey, I'm talking to, because like Safaricom, which is, I think it's a $10 billion corporation based here. It's a big telecoms company that's behind the mobile money. Uh, 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 basically, like you know, evolution globally and here, where I'm like, hey, I got this colleague of mine, Ailey, and he's got his team in, in in the US, and we're you know jointly bidding and pitching for some stuff. Why? Because he's a specialist at some stuff globally in his niche and his domain, and you know he's working, let's say, with um, 
uh, I don't know, T-Mobile and all these like American telcos. So I'm like, at least I know I, he, he's got my back and that he can bring some of that expertise and I can help fill in the local nuance. So my mind is that this is what we, we call the global village, right? We should look at each yes. other really as an exchange of, of commerce and business because I really think business is a force for good and we get the chance to impact people and really change lives through what we do. You know, it's, it's, this is a very meta moment because I was just speaking to someone recently about the benefit of podcasting. And one of that, one of those benefits was being able to network with people in your industry and also, you know, fill, fill the gaps of each other's companies. At the same time, you're providing information to your listeners. So right now we're both feeding people who want to learn about marketing, people who want to hire agencies, people who want to understand agencies in the global marketing market. We're feeding them. They're learning from that. But we're also networking. You and I are. Um, and you you mentioned about the um, about the the global networking amongst companies. That's where that's my answer to the full service thing because my company. I don't think I don't, I don't don't go back in the wayback machine look at my website. I might have said the phrase at some <laughs> point, but I don't think we've ever said full service. Um, like I said, I'm thinking now, but I don't think we ever have. Mm. Um, but I do know we did we did other things. We used to do, for example, websites and graphic design. And we realized that, you know, we're getting more and more clients on the podcasts and videos. So let's, you know, let's niche down and do more of those and less of the others. And then as I meet other agencies like your own, we say, you know what? You know, Mark's agency goes deep on this item. Plus, if we're partnered with him, then we can claim his 25, 30, whatever years experience instead of us saying, well, yeah, we can do it and have no way to prove it, you know? And so I've done that with other companies. I have companies who, in fact, one of our initiatives is to look for agencies who claim full service, but don't do podcasting or don't do video because we know we can help them say yes more often, right? So when I talked to someone like you, I said, you know what, let's, let's work together because if you're in a meeting, if I'm in a meeting, and someone asks for something in their bid and they say, do you do this? I want to be able to say yes. Knowing I'm going to call up Mark five minutes later and say, hey, Mark, <laughs> you know, we got a situation here and we can do this, but you can do it much better. Let's partner. And it, it isn't like we're not presenting to the customer correctly. We're telling them that, yes, we have a network of partners. And instead of us playing the full service role and giving you a half product, we can pull together agencies of experts and truly provide you a full service solution because we're all deep experts in those things. So I like the way you phrase that because we do need to have this kind of village, so to speak. Yeah. I think for us, the way that we look at it is we, um, at Nendo, what we say is um, we have sort of two types of teammates here. So we have what we call uh, natives, right? So again, example of a village. So we're like, Hey, we're natives. We live here. We show up sort of, you know, a nine to five or whatever, and are like, well, you, you're going to find us around. And then we have what we call nomads. So nomads are, we got like a couple nomads in different cities of Northern Nigeria. We have a nomad in Abidjan in the Ivory Coast. We got sort of three of, about three of them in uh, Accra in Ghana. We have about five split across South Africa from Joburg to Durban to Cape Town. So when you start adding up, like people are like, whoa, like this is a pretty big team. I'm like, yes, but it's, it's what I'd call nomads and natives so we activate nomads and some of them honestly they'll they become like you know a real core part of the team because they'll, they'll be on let's say you know for essentially two weeks out of a month you know especially on certain projects so it feels like they're part of the organization 
And then on the other side, you have basically the, the natives who are keeping everything together, running a tight ship, and we're slowly expanding that over time. So I think that's that's a valuable way to consider this this future model is saying, look, there's going to be that that core. And COVID also taught us this because we're like, we're remote too. So every day we have this, you know, this daily huddle for like 10, 15 minutes. Uh, you know, everybody's saying what they're doing and they dial in from wherever they're at. Um, and, and that's the exciting thing about it. Like you said, it's like five minutes later, I'm calling you, putting you on as a nomad. And next thing we know, we got, we got some business to do. Absolutely, man. Wow. Well, Mark, it's been a complete pleasure speaking with you. And I, I look forward to talking with you more and developing a relationship. I like what you're doing. Um, and so before we go, please tell us anything about what you're working on right now or maybe how we can find you or, or your company. Sure. So I think uh, there's a couple of things I'm really passionate about that I, I, I appreciate the opportunity to plug. So thanks, Ailey. So if you'd like anything yeah, yeah. on our website, so you're thinking about Africa, you're thinking about social listening or social media data, that, that's one of the, the sort of the things where like, like, probably elite at the on the whole continent ad is is, is uh, social media data where we compete really well on research broadly and then like I said on the creative side we're good uh, we're running some really special campaigns we've won a number of awards but but I I'm always hungry to get better so our website uh, www.nendo that's n e n d o .co.ke that's the you know so nendo.co.ke that's the the URL so we've got like case studies we've got free um, trend reports like, for example, if you're just looking to understand how Kenyans use their mobile data, like one of the few, actually, it's the only country in the world where Netflix is free is Kenya, right? That's exactly. Cool. So, okay. so you pay for Netflix where you are, we get it for free, but there's a couple like catches. So there's even Netflix has said, look, of all the countries in the world, 200, you know, something, whatever, like we're going to go innovate in Kenya. So if somebody's looking for that sort of innovative research, we have free reports on our website for that. The other thing I'll quickly plug is the elections are coming and uh, misinformation, disinformation is a big thing here. So we have an online quiz. It's just about to launch um, called Stop, Reflect, Verify. So it's at stopreflectverify.com. So just really excited to just have, you know, anyone give us some feedback. If you have some ideas, I, what I'm always saying is, you know, you have listeners here. And if you're listening to this, you have experience, you have ideas, you have something to offer, reach out. Like I'm, I'm a, again, abundance person. You could be in whatever country you're hearing this treadmill, you know, sort of like driving somewhere. And I would just love to connect because I'm always hungry to build my network and, and to have an exchange of ideas about what the next decade holds. And I think Africa is really the place to be. So happy to, to make your acquaintance and share. Definitely. I'm excited. So great. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me today, Mark. Um, and thanks to our listeners. If you're listening to the podcast and want to see Mark and I, video the podcast and others should be available in the podcast section of contentmonster.com. Thanks again, Mark. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Business of Marketing podcast, a show brought to you by contentmonster.com, the producer of B2B digital marketing content. Show notes can be found on contentmonster.com as well as aleejudge.com. To continue the conversation, be sure to follow the podcast on your favorite podcast platform.